Today on Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier Reese says, God offers extreme makeovers. Just stop and think the type of life that you live now as a Christian. Since you came to Christ, for the first time, you know right from wrong. You're able to have fun in the most simplest ways. You're able to accept people that you would never accept. Why? Because you have a God-quality life in you. Eternal life begins here. God-like life. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Quantity and quality are usually thought of as having to choose between one or the other. But when it comes to eternal life, Pastor Xavier explains the simple truth why God wants us to experience not only eternity with Him, but also a God-quality life here on earth. Let's join him in the continuation of a message drawn from the Gospel of John, Chapter 1. The message is entitled, The Eternal Logos, Jesus. Let me read the verses all together as a unit, and we'll look at it. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, let's look at the Word and salvation. We've looked at the word in creation. Now look at the word in salvation. Verses 4 and 5. In him was the life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, notice first the word was the source of life. In him was life. The phrase in him refers to the logos, the word, Jesus. He is the very essence and principle of life in all that he has created by virtue of being the source and the cause of all things. If there's life in anything, if there's anything in existence, he's the source, the life. The word life is zoe. It means the life principle both of man and animal. For Paul tells the Athenians, remember in Acts 17, 25, it says he gives to all life. We have already seen how animals and men had their beginning point in time at creation through him. This Zoe is the basic life principle that comes from him. As a matter of fact, we get our English word zoology from it. The word is also used to describe the quality of life that God possesses. In the context, you'll have life, and the context is the life of God. The word is used a total of 35 times in the Gospel of John. It is used in association with eternal life and everlasting life 17 of the 35 times. The remaining 18 imply eternal life. So if you want a theme for John's Gospel, it's God-like life, age-abiding life. Did not John tell us in chapter 20 that he selected certain signs that you might believe that he's the son of God and believing you might have life eternal. That's the whole purpose of this gospel. That in believing that Jesus is the son of God, that you, believing in his name, will have life eternal or eternal life. But don't think of eternal life simply as a, as a time that never ends or a life that never ends. Primarily, the context is a quality of life. 
Just stop and think the type of life that you live now as a Christian since you came to Christ. You are really living. For the first time, you know right from wrong. There's no excuse. For the first time, you are able to experience what life is really about. You're able to make choices. You're able to have fun in the most simplest ways. You're able to accept people that you would never accept. Why? Because you have a God-quality life in you. It begins here, not when you die. Eternal life begins here. Yes, it's time without end, but primarily it's a quality of life. God-like life. Age-abiding life. Kingdom life. Now, the Gospel of John begins and ends with the word Zoe, life. Right here, verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. Then as we go to chapter 20, verse 31, which is the last verse of the last chapter, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have Zoe in his name. How interesting. It begins with Zoe and it ends with Zoe. Life. What does God want you to do? God wants you to live. Now, is it possible to be a Christian, have eternal life, and still not experience life to the fullest here on earth? Absolutely. And there are many things that can stand in our way. Our own bitterness of heart, our own resentment of heart, our own carnality, our own rebellion. And God wants to deal with those issues so that you can experience life to the fullest. He says, I came to give you life, but not only life, but life more abundantly, John 10, 10. He wants you to have a blast. Remember how much energy you put into the world to having a blast? I mean, you went for it. Oh, just put the same energy into the Lord. You will do so good. But you cannot do it in the flesh. You've got to do it in the spirit, in the new man. It will not happen any other way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now notice secondly, and still in verse 4 there, the words life, or in other words, the life of Jesus, the one who is life, was the light of man. We once again see the stair-step progression as in Verse 1, by beginning the next statement with the last word use, thereby accomplishing not only progression but identification and relationship. Follow with me. In the beginning was the Word. Then it begins, and the Word was with God. And then it begins, and God was the Word. Then he does the same thing now with life. In him was life. And then he begins with life. And the life was the light of men. There's an extension, there's a progression, there's a relationship, there's an identity here of the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the word light is the word phos. It means to shine. It is used of light in itself, be it light of a candle, the sun, or reflection of the moon. It is used to represent man's conscience also, and Matthew 6, 23 is one of the aspects of it. Remember Jesus said also, he said, you know, if, you're, if your eye be dark, then great is that darkness. But if, the, if it's full of light, then you'll be healthy. Speaking about our conscience. It is used in a moral and spiritual sense as in our context for the purpose of salvation. So God is a light to illuminate man about his sinfulness, 
about the redemptive plan of God, about his need to repent. He is the one. Many people think, well, you know, when I get old enough and I get ready enough, then I'll come. Well, what makes you think you will come? What even makes you believe that you have the ability in yourself? The Bible teaches that we go through John that no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him by his Spirit. Yes, we have a free will and we make a decision, but the prompting and the wooings of the Father by the Spirit. We don't just get up one day and say, well, I think I'll be saved today. No. Does not Jesus say, I stand at the door and knock? And if any man open that door, I will come in and step with him and he with me? It's an invitation. Jesus created man with a spiritual capacity to fellowship with God by making him a living soul. A living soul. Intellect, emotions, and the will. Genesis 2.7. And he breathed into the nostrils and the breath of life to man. And he became a living soul. John the Baptist came to give witness of that light, that through him people might believe in Jesus. Verse 6 and 7, he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him, through John, might believe. He was the herald. He was the precursor of Jesus Christ. Go down to verse 20. This is great. He confessed and he said, And did I deny but confess, I am not the Messiah. He told this to all the delegates that came from Jerusalem. Remember that. You are not the Messiah. <laughs> Too many Christians get the Messiah complex, pastors. And they think that without them, nothing can happen. Be careful. Learn the simple truth of John. I am not the Messiah. You know how liberating that is? It's incredible. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 8, 12. Are you walking in Jesus? Then you're walking in the light. You're not walking in darkness. The psalmist declares in Psalm 36, 9, For with you is the foundation or the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Listen to that. In your light we see light. Incredible. It's all of him. Now notice the beginning of verse 5. He says, the words light has always been in the world. And the light shines in the darkness. The phrase light shines is in the present tense. The moral and spiritual light has been shining continuously from the beginning of time of man's creation and continues to shine at the present time, and he does it in three different ways. Don't miss them. First, creation attests to God's eternal power and Godhead so that man is without excuse, Romans 1.20. By creation, man is without excuse. Secondly, by conscience. Conscience bears witness to a written law in man's heart, evident that their conscience is always accusing and excusing one another, Romans 2.15. Now, we can callous our conscience, we can sear it, we can re-educate it, we can do all kinds of things, but we are without excuse. From creation and conscience, man is without excuse about God. 
You remember the first time you did something wrong when you were a little kid? You went to the store, you got a candy five-finger discount. You ever hear that phrase? That's kind of an old phrase. You just thought about it. I hadn't used it in a long time. And, and you looked around. Why did you look around for? What was wrong? Who says it's wrong? <laughs> conscience. So creation and conscience, but there's one more thing. The clear revelation of Scripture attests to the shining light. The express will of God through the prophets, the Scriptures. Now the first two, creation and conscience, and I'll just throw in another one, history, that's called general revelation. Now general revelation is not sufficient to save you. It just tells you there's a God. But special revelation, the Scriptures, the Old Testament theophanies, the appearances of, of God, the Christophanies, the appearance of God as an angel, visions, dreams of the Old Testament Scriptures, those are special revelation. They tell us directly that a God who's interested in redeeming us. That's how men are saved, through the Scriptures. But they are without excuse from conscience and from creation. In the garden, God first expressed to Adam his will, special revelation. You may eat of all the tree, but of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat. Can you imagine Adam walk with God in the cool of the evening? <laughs> Talk with him? Man. Now notice the place it has shined and continued to shine is in darkness. The reference is to the fallen world as we know it ever since Adam disobeyed God in Genesis 3. The fallen world of humanity. The fallen world of mankind is a rebellion against God. It cannot please God, nor is it subject to God. In fact, it is an enemy of God, Romans 8, 7 says. Have you noticed that not everybody wants to hear about Jesus when you want to tell them? Satan, the most beautiful cherub in heaven, the worship leader of heaven, rebelled against God and he took a third of the angels with him. Revelation 12, 4 tells us. You find his account in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Satan is the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air, that now works in the children of disobedience, who are by nature children of wrath. Ephesians 2, 2 and 3 tells us that. And so we have this great influence of Satan. You have a world full of fallen men and women. And when you put those two together, they don't like light. You remember the party days? You got there kind of late. Lights are sort of down. You walk in and, you know, you, you, can't, you can't see because it's kind of dark. But all of a sudden, after five minutes, your eyes got accustomed to the darkness, right? And you're walking around and say, hey, hi, Jim, hi, Joe, how you doing? You know? And then somebody comes in and turns the light. Hey, what are you doing? Turn that light off. We don't like light, do we? It exposes our evil deeds. We like the darkness. That's why people party at night. Now, when you know they've really gotten bad is when they've lost the sense of blushing and they party in the day. And there is so much darkness that the light of day doesn't even make a difference anymore. Satan is the father of lies and the murder from the beginning who has come to kill, steal, and destroy and roams about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. John 8, 44, John 10, 10, and 1 Peter 5, 8. Amazing. From the beginning, the light has been shining. 
Notice fourthly, the second half there, verse 5. The words light has not been accepted by the darkness. He says, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The word and in the middle of the verse 5 communicates a contrast to the offer of the light and is translated yet in other places in John. John 7, 19, 16, 32, and 20, 29. Let me read it that way, okay? And the light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not comprehend it. That gives you a better understanding of contrast. The darkness has not comprehended the light. The word comprehended is an intensive form of the word to take or take in. It is used to lay hold or seize with eagerness, such as the woman taken in adultery in John 8, 3 through 4. It is used to communicate an athletic strenuous exertion to achieve a goal in Philippians 3, 12 through 13. It is used figuratively to seize with the mind, to permit, to admit or allow the light of God's revelation, which is the way it is used in our text here. It's an openness on my part for the light that is trying to penetrate my life. It's shining, but the refusal on my part does not minimize the light. It just rejects the light. You understand? The clear communication is that this dark world of fallen humanity has not only resisted the light of God and His revelation in the past, the present, but it will also continue to reject it in the future. It will not welcome the message due to its fallenness and its depravity. The world as a whole does not want to hear about Jesus. And yet, when we get to John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world, same word, cosmos. He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Doesn't Peter say that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? But God knows not all will come. Why? Because they reject it. They do not comprehend. They don't open up to it. Now, some attempt to interpret the word comprehend, that what it means is that the darkness has not extinguished the light from the beginning. Now, we know that that's a fact, but, you, but that's not what it's saying here. We know that the light has been shining from the beginning, and the darkness has not extinguished it or overtaken it, but this is not the interpretation. It is very, very clear here that the word comprehend means to allow, to appropriate, that light to apprehend. You see, the system of fallen man in the world did not welcome nor apprehend the light. Look at verse 5. And the darkness did not comprehend the light. Look at verse 10, the latter portion. And the world did not know him. Look at verse 11. He came to his own, and his own received him not. By virtue of these three verses alone, we know that the word comprehend in verse 5 means rejection. He states it, and then he illustrates it over and over and over again. 
The condemnation of the world is that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light, John 3, 19. Those who do evil hate the light because the light exposes their evil deeds and practices, John 3, 20. Now, the words light through creation is sufficient to condemn us, not to speak of God's word, special revelation. The sun is a great power plant. If you were to mark off one square yard of the sun, you would find that it is giving off 70,000 horsepower of energy continuously, never decreases, never increases. This represents a tremendous amount of energy. Yet, when God created the sun, he had to put into it that act of creation, all of the energy that has come from the sun and will come for the sun the rest of time. There is still enough energy in the sun to last for some 30 billion years. The interesting thing about the sun that if it was just a little farther away, the earth would freeze up. If it was just a little closer together, we'd be crispy critters. I mean, it doesn't change. The moon's the same way. We set our watches by the planets. That's how accurate they are. Do you realize that every year a layer of the sea has evaporated 14 feet to be exact? It's taken up into the clouds. The winds bear their burden into the land and the water comes down and rain upon the field. They'll flow back through the rivers and we question the power of God if he's able to keep us. <laughs> Examine creation, man. <laughs> the moon is 240,000 miles away, a little bit of distance. And the tides twice a day are usually a gentle reminder of its presence. Tides of the ocean run as high as 60 feet in some places. 60 feet, that's pretty high. And even the crust of the earth twice a day is bent towards outwardly several inches by the moon's attraction. All seem so regular that we do not grasp to any degree the vast power that lifts the whole area of the ocean several feet and bends the crust of the earth seemingly so solid. Do you realize that without the moon's effect, the seas would inundate the lands? We exploded and landed here? <laughs> Chaos brings order? Simple things evolve to complex things? No, I don't think so. Do you know that anything may be reproduced on a scale model except for the universe? The impossibility of making such a model accurately is shown by the fact that if the earth were represented by a ball only one inch in diameter, one inch in diameter, the nearest star, Alpha Centauri, would have to be placed nearly 51,000 miles away from that one inch ball to make it to scale. <laughs> all that power and yet he will not violate your free will for salvation amazing you must open your heart to God you must acknowledge him as creator you must come and say I want to apprehend that light and then and only then will he save you he will not force himself. And so all the light that man has received for, for salvation is from the Logos, who is Jesus. 
And He is here today to shine that light on your heart, to show you your darkness and your need of salvation. But only you can make that decision, no one else. I pray that you make that decision even now. Pastor Xavier Reese reminding us that the giver of life is also extending an invitation to eternal life with him as well. And with that, Pastor Xavier completes his study titled, The Eternal Lagos Part 2. Now, you may be interested to know that today's presentation can be heard again anytime by way of the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But if you prefer your own personal copy on CD, we can make one available for only $4 upon request. The title to ask for is The Eternal Lagos Part 2. You can write to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com